Turn with me this morning to Joshua chapter 8. was uh, working over this this morning, I I started reading, and it just wasn't right, and I couldn't figure it out, and you know, I really hadn't had any coffee yet, and I look, and I'm in Judges, and I'm wondering why, no wonder it didn't work out right, no wonder, I was having trouble understanding what, what was going on, Joshua chapter 8, continuation of the story of the lives of the Israelites as they come into the promised land. If you remember, we've passed through Jericho and the uh, victory at Jericho, the sin that was involved and the problems at the first attempt to take the city of Ai, and then the confession of sin and all that was involved with that. And now we come to chapter 8. So it's a long chapter. I'm, I'm not going to invite you to stand today, but, but I will read uh, the word of God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, come to us today, we ask. That we, in our own feebleness, our own humanness, would not let that get in the way, but that your spirit would come and open our eyes and clear out those things of the weak, those stresses and those voices that we, we, we have filling our minds, Lord, that we would hear only your voice. That when we read these words, it, they would be your words, Lord, that we would be able to live and walk in obedience and in the power of Jesus Christ, we ask in his name. Amen. Joshua chapter 8. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. And you shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. So Joshua rose with all the people of war to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. And he commanded them, saying, See, you are going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city... And it will come about when they come out to meet us at the first that we will flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say, they are fleeing before us as at first. So we will flee before them. And you shall rise from your ambush and take the possession of the city. For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. Then it will be when you have seized the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do to it according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them away, and they went to the place of ambush and remained between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Now Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people, and he went up with the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near and arrived in front of the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between him and Ai. 
And he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. So they stationed the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city, and its rear guard on the west side of the city. And Joshua spent that night in the midst of the valley. And it came about when the king of Ai saw it that the men of the city hurried and rose up early and went out to meet Israel in battle, he and all his people at the appointed place before the desert plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. And all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. So not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who had not gone out after Israel. And they left the city unguarded and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. So Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in ambush rose quickly from their place. And when he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they quickly set it on fire. When the men of Ai turned back and looked, behold, the smoke of the city ascended to the sky, and they had no place to flee this way or that. For the people who had been fleeing to the wilderness turned against the pursuers. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the men in ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and slew the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city to encounter them so that they were trapped in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they slew them until no one was left of those who survived or escaped. But they took alive the king of Ai and brought him to Joshua. Now it came about when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the field and in the wilderness where they pursued them, And all of them were fallen by the edge of the sword until they were destroyed. Then all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not withdraw his hand from which he stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Israel took only the cattle and the spoil of that city as plunder for themselves, according to the word of the Lord which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation until this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua gave command, and they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the city gate and raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. And all Israel, with their elders and the officers and their judges, were standing on both sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger as well as the native. Half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given command at first to bless the people of Israel. Then afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, 
with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. This is God's inspired word for us today. Now, that's 3,000 years ago. Is that for us today? Well, you bet it is for us today. You bet it is. As we read this in chapter 8, we, re- we have to look back to 7 and say, what happened in 7? Well, they were defeated. They were defeated terribly. And then in chapter 8, they're given this great victory. Now, how many times in our lives have we been defeated because we went off on our own way? We went off our own plan, our own idea, and we got crushed. And then we came back and took stock and examined it and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then we were successful. Psalm 119 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Sometimes we have to get smacked upside the head. Is that a good term? What's the the mule? How do you teach a mule? You walk up and you smack it with a two-by-four and you say, I've got to get its attention first. Well, sometimes the Lord gets our attention through our error, through the times where we have run off on our own ahead of him. And then he gets our attention and we come back and we go, okay, Lord, now I'm ready to walk in obedience. And that's what the psalmist says in 119. Now, there's something going on here in this chapter. I imagine Joshua was feeling a little discouraged. The first go-around, they had failed to take Ai. Men were killed. There had been the incident with Achan, the the discovery of sin, the confession of sin, taking him and all he owned and his family outside the camp and stoning them and burning them. And after all that, we hear the first words of the Lord in verse 1. Do not fear or be dismayed. Now, these words are common in the the Old Testament, especially around Joshua. This is the uh, third time that he has heard this phrase from the Lord. The first time he heard those words were from the Lord. They were through Moses. After they had wandered in the desert for 40 years and Moses was giving him the leadership of the people... He said, do not fear or be dismayed. That was because the Lord would be with him. And then as they reach the promised land in the first chapter of Joshua, the Lord speaks to him and says those words again. And here we have them in chapter 8. Do not fear or be dismayed. Over in chapter 10, we have the same thing going on. The Lord gives him this confidence, this message of confidence. Now, I think that's very important because I think if Satan had one tool One tool only that he could use to affect the body of Christ, I think it would be discouragement. It would be discouragement. Think in these terms. Here you are going along in your life, minding your own business. Something happens, some failure, some sin, some disruption in your life, and all of a sudden you begin to think thoughts like this. Well, don't be foolish. I mean, you had a chance and you blew it. Who's going to forgive you after that? You can't come back after a failure like that. They'll never think the same of you because of what you did. Those things go around in your head, those things of discouragement. Then you become discouraged. You become less likely to pursue the things of Christ, attempt the things for the Lord. Perhaps you want to try something now and you hear these words. Well, people just don't do things like that. That's not possible. Use your brain. But yet the Lord is calling us to something greater, something larger. But yet we are discouraged. I think Satan uses that tool. Suddenly our motivation, our drive, our hope is gone. This is discouragement. 
I think it would have been easy for Joshua to become discouraged. So God gives them these words, do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go to AIC. I have given it into your hand. Okay, not I'm going to give it to you. I've already given it to you. All you have to do is go and exercise what I have already done. This is the word of the Lord. So let's learn a couple things here. Number one, the battle is the Lord's. I have given it into your hand. We see over in verse 18 as well. I will give it into your hand. These are the promises of the Lord to Joshua. Now, after this great failure, they've come, they've repented, they've, they've rooted out the sin, and now they've come to the Lord and they want to seek out his battle plan. Okay, Lord, we tried it our way. Obviously, we didn't get very far. What is it that we should do? What is it that we should do? Well, if you look at the strategy for taking Jericho and hold it up against the strategy for taking the city of Ai that the Lord gives them, they're exactly opposite. Jericho, what did they do? They walked around the city, they walked around the city, they walked around the city, and the last day they walked around and around and around, they blew their horns and the walls came tumbling down. What did they do? Nothing. They were very passive in it. They were obedient, but there was no what we would call real battle going on. Now, here in AI, it is very different. It is very strategic. It is an ambush. You're going to divide your forces, put some over here, some over here, some over here. You're going to draw the inhabitants out of the city. Now, remember when the Israelites went against AI the first time, they were very confident. In fact, overconfident. Here, we had just beat the stuffing out of Jericho. Now we're going to go beat the stuffing out of AI. And they go up and get the stuffing beat out of them. So, the people of AI look and they see Israel fleeing from their warriors. And what are they? Now they're overconfident. So they go rushing after the city, the inhabitants, the, uh, the Israelites, and then the ambush is sprung. This is very different from the city of Ai, or from Jericho. In fact, in Jericho, it was very easy. The walls came down, they walked in. Here you have hand-to-hand combat. You have brutal battle that goes on. There's a large contingent, 30,000 or so to the north. They're camped there, some to the west. The trap is sprung. The people of Ai are destroyed. Now, you can understand that when we look at the book of Joshua, we who are sitting here today, we look at it through the lens of Jesus Christ. Okay? Because we know how it turns out. We know what is this is all pointing to in the person of Christ. We can see that the way will work the way the Lord will work again and again in this world and it is not the way that we think. It is not the way that we think is wise, but it is the way that the Lord chooses to act. The way the Lord chooses to act. God will conquer sin through the foolishness of the cross. God will do his work not according to the wisdom of the world But according to the foolishness, what the world thinks is foolish. Christ does not come riding on a great white steed. He comes on the foal of a donkey. The weapons of warfare that we use are not the things of the world, but they are spiritual weapons. God goes about his victory in the way that he deems is important, not according to what we think is right or what we think works. That's what Israel did on the first battle with Ai. That's what the Lord told them to do 
the second time is go according to my will. For my weapons and my plan is perfect. Yours is not. See, the weapons that the Lord gives us is well, those weapons which conquer sin. The grace of Jesus Christ. The message, the word of the cross. These are the tools and the weapons that the church has. And it is the power that is contained in those weapons that we are to use. As we said before, the gates of hell cannot prevail against these weapons. Against these weapons. Now, there are voices out there that are telling us that those weapons are outdated. They don't work in today's society. You've got to do different things. But when the Lord tells us that his word is no longer the power of God unto salvation, then we can preach something else. When the Lord tells us that his grace is no longer sufficient to sustain us, that we can rely upon in any situation, then we'll rely upon something else. Until then, we'll do what the Lord commands us to do. See, the battle belongs to the Lord when you go in accordance with his plan. Now, the judgment is the Lord, Lord's as well. War involves death and mayhem and the shedding of blood, and it is vicious. But in all of these things, we understand, just like in Jericho, this is the judgment of the Lord upon those who are not his covenant people, who do not belong to him. The men came out of the city, the men of Ai. They were trapped between Joshua's men to the north and the ambush that had been set to the west. They're caught in this trap, and all of them are killed, leaving no survivors. Then they go back into the city, and they kill everybody there, leaving no survivors. This is the judgment upon these people, these people who are not the Lord's. And he goes in courting through his people of Israel and kills all. Verse 25 And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not withdraw his hand from which he stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of the city. The king is the only one they spare for an instant. And they bring him before Joshua and they hang him on a tree. They take him down at night and throw him out in front of the city and cover him with stones in a sense to mark his defeat, so that others who were come along would know of the great victory that the Lord had given to his people. Now jump, we're just, that's a big chapter, we obviously can't cover everything, but jump down to verse 30. Okay, the Lord has given them the victory, they've come in, they've wiped everybody out, they've killed everybody, it has been according to his plan, the Lord has used their defeat now, and he says, don't be discouraged, and he goes in, gives them the plan which they exercise, and they have had this great victory. And then in verse 30, it says, then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal. Now, that's a big jump, because what we're talking about, this is about 30 miles away, 30 miles away from where Ai is. So what happens is after the victory, Joshua and all, all the warriors go back to... Um, Um, Gilgal where the people are and they collect the I don't know two million people and all their animals and all all their tents and all their belongings and they take this trek 30 miles north up to the valley of Shechem now Shechem sits between two very important mountains which we see here Mount Ebal on one side and Mount Gerizim on the other and we'll look at those in just a moment okay on this 30 mile trek they pass by other cities which are enemies of them But they don't attack them. They stay on their path and they go up. Because they've got serious business to accomplish 
in the Valley of Shechem. Serious business, important business. Now, this valley is very important in the history of Israel. 600 years earlier, Abraham first came to this land. Here, he stopped and built his first altar of sacrifice in this valley. Jacob's running uh, back home away from his uncle Laban. Uh, He runs to Shechem to safety with his family. Joseph is looking for his brothers before they sold him into slavery. He is in this valley as well. There is a well that Jacob digs here. That in the New Testament, Jesus comes and meets a woman at this well at noontime. And he gives her, a Samaritan woman, gives her the life-saving water of Jesus Christ. So they're between two huge mountains, Gerizim and Ebal. One is the mountain of blessing. One is the mountain of cursing. Okay? One is the mountain of blessing. The other is the mountain of cursing. All the people are camped in the valley. Half of them on this side of the valley. Half of them on this side of the valley. And in the middle of their encampment is the Ark of the Covenant and the priests. Right in the center of all that they do. Remember, this is very significant as to who they are. Mount Ebal represents the mountain of cursing. Mount Gerizim represents the mountain of blessing. And they will go up on the mountain of blessing. And the Lord has told them, if you obey me, I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you. And what will he do to those who curse them? He will curse them. All they have to do is be obedient and they'll know blessing. But when they are disobedient, they will know curse. But while all this is going on, see, they have traveled these 30 miles up to this valley so that they may worship God. They've just won this great battle. Now it's time to go and worship God. Don't go and attack anybody else. Come up to the mountain. Come up to the mountain and offer sacrifices. Know the blessing and know the words of cursing as well. Now they're to build an altar. Look at verse 31. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no man had wielded an iron tool. Now, the purpose of building an altar with stones that no man has touched, no iron tool has touched, they've not formed, is to remind them that what happens on that altar has nothing to do with their work. Nothing to do with their efforts. The altar is built. It is not hewn. It is not touched by human hands. It is completely the work of the Lord. Where else would we see something like this in Scripture? Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. The same thing is here. Here they are. They're offering blessings to the Lord on this side. And over here, you can almost see their their eyes are focused over here on the mountain of blessing because that's where they want to pursue. But back here, there are sacrifices going on. There are burnt offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings that are going on. And you look back here, and what does this signify? Signifies if you do the things that the Lord blesses, you will have a blessing. Back here is the altar of sacrifice for sins on which no human hand has touched. So what they're pointing to, what they're smelling, what they're hearing and seeing in the back is this truth that, yes, the Lord punishes sin, but he also covers sin with the sacrifice. So here we have the people of God in the middle. They're seeking the blessing, but behind them over here is this sure message that the Lord forgives sin. And this points to the things of Christ. 
the altar upon which Christ was offered, his shed blood. No work of human hands is involved in the forgiveness of our sin. It is completely the work of our Heavenly Father through his Son. There's forgiveness in the midst of all of this. There's terrible violence, but yet it is judgment upon sin. And we understand that that is the same judgment that we deserve for our sin. But yet, on this altar, not touched by human hands, Jesus Christ has shed his blood and given the sacrifice for us that our sin might be forgiven, that we might know and walk in the path of righteousness. These are the promises of God. This is what we take. One of the things that we can take from this chapter of these people who have obeyed the Lord now, who have sought his face, have been victorious, and they go and worship and are reminded that it is the work of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, who are we that you should care about us in this fashion? Who are we that we would be bestowed this grace? There's nothing in us that would draw you to us. There's nothing that we could ever do that would earn this grace. Yet like that altar, not touched by human hands, this salvation is done in that way. There is no work of our own that makes us worthy, no work of our own that we could earn this, no way to get into your good graces but it is purely and totally a work that you have done. Christ obediently gave his life and shed his blood, and it is in that blood that our sins are washed and cleansed. For you call us by name. You tell us that today is the day of salvation, and it is not an invitation to believe. It is a command to believe. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth. Believe with your heart, and you will be saved. That is what you command us to do. For those of us with ears to hear, that is what we must do. We must put aside the old ways, running ahead of you, thinking we know how to do it, and cling to the truth of what you have done in the person work of Jesus Christ, and that you command us today to believe upon him and be saved. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to this, that there would be no question, no doubt in our minds what you are calling us to do and then how you are calling us to live because of it, because of this grace that you bestow upon us, because of this change that comes upon us, that we could walk in the newness, we could walk in forgiveness, those things that hold us, guilt or shame or whatever it would be that, that has a hold upon us, we would be able to put it aside. As your love comes into our hearts, as your grace places a new heart within us, we take off all those things that bind us to the old ways. Put on those new clothes of Christ that we might be obedient. We might know the joy and the peace that comes only through Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Our hymn is 442, O Master, Let Me Walk With Thee. Let's all stand as we sing 442.